0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Speakeasy with Deneen, a podcast from Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm your host, Deneen Milner. Each episode of Speakeasy trains a spotlight on a single word and then deep dives into the many ways it shows up in the African-American community. On this episode, the word is fly. I'm taking you on an international journey with a glimpse into my first time traveling as a single mom. I'm also talking to author, relationship guru, and world traveler Demetria Lucas, AKA the Black Carrie Bradshaw, about the importance of seeing some world. And later, I'm joined by one of the flyest Black women making music today, Tariana Tank Ball, who will be telling us about finding her voice and soaring in her music career. Today's journey starts at Atlanta's Hartsfield Jackson International Airport in July 2018 when I traveled to Spain with my daughters Mari and Lila. It was the first time we had ever traveled outside of the country without their father. Are you guys excited? Yes. yes. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> but you're not afraid no, at all. No, you guys aren't afraid no. at all. No, why no, really would we be afraid? I don't like understand. No, I mean going to another country with just me.
1: It's still land and food with just you. And food and
0: water. They're not scared. But listen, I'm terrified. All I kept thinking was, how am I going to hold up on this trip as a single parent, a woman, and a black woman at that? I grew up in a blue-collar family that didn't have money for international family vacations, and I didn't travel internationally until I did so with my ex-husband. Every out-of-country trip I'd ever gone on was with him, which, frankly, made me feel safe, secure. But traveling to what feels like the other side of the world, where everything from the language to the food to the people are different, was, well, different, scary. I kept wondering how do I keep myself and my girls safe out in a world that isn't exactly safe for single women and girls? And how do I do that as a black woman in places where so few black people exist? Within minutes of being at the airport, we had our first crisis. Mari's passport got wet, and we were worried she wouldn't be able to get on the plane. But as it usually does, everything worked out. My nerves are a little bit racked, but it feels much better
2: considering my
0: babies are with me. What are you doing right now? I'm
2: looking
0: at different currencies in different countries.
1: (laughs) <laughs> how much a U.S. dollar is worth in different countries. Ladies and gentlemen, How's like it looking in for
0: Instagram us? We're, we're going to be poor, poor in we're Spain, poor. but we're rich <laughs> in Morocco.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and there it is. We're going to be poor in Spain and rich in Morocco. Here we go. 9.4. This trip was a beast. We took two planes and spent 14 hours traveling by air. Once we landed in Madrid something dawned on me I'm just realizing that the last time that I was in Madrid was on my honeymoon isn't that a trip well here and there are signs written in English so I don't feel like that much of of a, a fish out of water but uh, this is just the beginning. Whew. It was hard as hell to navigate Spain's train system without the ability to speak or read Spanish. I thought for sure we'd miss our train, or worse, get lost in this foreign country with no way to find our way home. But somehow, we made it. Two train rides later, we ended up in San Lucar de Baramira, which is where my cousin lives. We stayed with her. It felt so good to be around family, and it didn't take me long to shake the fear and finally feel like I was free. Everything felt brighter, fresher. At the beach, I dipped my feet into the cold, beautiful ocean. So we're at the beach in San Lucar Paramida. We were able to walk out about a mile into the ocean without touching any water, but as soon as we got there, water started rising and I got freaked out a bit. My kids are making fun of me, but um, at least we don't drown. That's the purpose of mothers in situations like that. We are the ones who think of the worst case scenario first and then haul booty. And haul booty we did. In the 10 days abroad, I did a sunset book signing next to the ocean, ate all kinds of olives and fish and homemade paella. We drank copious amounts of red wine and Spanish gin, shopped for fresh food at the market during the day, and swam by the light of the moon. I also touched clouds at the top of the Rock of Gibraltar and slept on a boat at the foot of the historic rock. My cousin Cherie was a fantastic host. But suddenly, sadly, after 10 days, it was time for us to go home. Well, we are in Madrid's airport, heading back home. I'm about 40 shades darker. I'm happy, I'm free, and we're heading home. One thing I noticed during my travels in Spain was how invisible and yet highly visible I felt. In the places I went, the Spaniards are all white, and my girls and I stood out because of our dark skin. The black people we saw were Africans in the service industry, and even they are rare. I suspect the only other time they see black people is in stereotypical roles in the entertainment industry, which makes us, <laughs> interesting. Everywhere we went, stares followed us. I was a little disturbed, but after a while, I ain't care. It took me a few days, but finally, I felt like the world can belong to a single black mom, too. I finally experienced the world in a way I hadn't before. I was scared, but liberated, and most importantly, just fly. What does it take for people to drop their guard and preconceived notions about foreign destinations and travel beyond the security of their home country by choice? Journalist Demetria Lucas wrestles with that question, and she embodies what it means to be fly. Demetria was Essence Magazine's relationship editor, a former reality show star, and now she's a two-time author who's working on her third book. Demetria spent a lot of time in Brooklyn writing about love. She's known as the Black Carrie Bradshaw, the iconic character from the TV show Sex and the City. I asked her what fly means to her.
2: The first thing I thought was like fly as in dope, like very 80s fly, like feathered hair, asymmetric bamboo earrings. Like I felt like fly like that. And then I also thought, you know, fly as in soar and then fly as in travel via flight.
0: Demetria says it's important for Black people to see the world outside their own backyard. She's documented her adventures on her online photo gallery called See Some World. She told me traveling has always been a large part of her life. Demetria remembers her first major trip abroad. She went to London during her senior year of college. Just a note, our conversation includes some explicit language.
2: I loved it. I took an art history class and all these beautiful paintings of, you know, of Venice, of Paris, of Spain, all all these amazing places. And I was like, why am I looking at paintings when I can actually just get on a flight for a hundred dollars and go for the weekend, a week, whatever. So instead of going to class, I would like go off to Rome. Oh, wow. Or, yeah, it was a wild world. I'd go <laughs> off to Rome. I'd go off to Spain. I'd go trekking around the UK. It was it was amazing. Wow. And it opened my eyes to so many different things i almost failed the semester but i saw a lot of world uh, you got, i got you a got lot of culture i got to see the world <laughs> yes.
0: to, to my you know what mari my older daughter just went to study abroad in botswana she left a couple of days ago oh, and she's amazing. she's 19 and it ble- i you know i cried when It was time for her to go because it was just my baby's going out into the world. And for the first time, I'm not orchestrating the whole thing. She did it all on her own. But and I told her that she was my hero because I couldn't see myself at 19 traveling to the next state. Like I'm from Long Island, New York, and it was a thing to get on the train and go into the big bad city. Like that's the way that I was raised. Right. And here's my kid getting on three flights. Um, that took her well over 24 hours to get to Botswana, where she'll be living for the next two months. And I am fascinated by people who can do that, but specifically black women who can get on a flight and just say, you know what, I'm going to go and study in London. And then while I'm in London, forget class, I'm just going to go ahead and go to Rome today. or I'm going to go to Spain today. Like, what does it take to be that kind of person who can spread her wings and just fly off to another place without regard for safety, without regard for, um, you know, your place in those those places and how you'll be received? Like, did any of that cross your mind when you were that age?
2: Well, when I left for London, It was before September 11th, so your parents could still take you up to the gate or your, your guest or your, whoever was with you could go up to the gate with you mm-hmm. at an airport. right? And I cried, and I boo so bad, my mom was like, you don't have to go. And my father was like, <laughs> I don't know if I can swear, my father was like, the fuck she does? Like, he was like, he was like, oh no, get your ass on that plane. I paid for whatever. So, yes. you know, he pointed a finger, and I, you know, with my head down, boo-hooing, and my mother, you know, fussing in the background, because she's mad at my dad. And he was like, she'll be fine, she'll be fine. So, you know, like, I got on the flight, and I really wasn't sure What London was going to be this is also pre you know like Pinterest and Instagram Mm -hmm. so you can't just sort of look at pictures and see other people looking just like you doing the same things that you'd like to do so it was very scary but then I landed at Heathrow and I met up with the other people who I was going to be living with in the program I had five roommates so it was kind of like a real world situation Mm -hmm. there was one other black girl guess who she was roommates with (laughs) Um, you know like I got there and the world didn't fall apart right you know, right. like, it was scary and trying to figure things out. And I almost got hit by a million cars because traffic is on the opposite side right. of the street. There's and I get to look. Right. But I didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I had a day once where I was crossing the street and I realized that there was an ocean between me and the next person who could actually do something for me, who genuinely cared about my well-being, like, right. just cared about me. Right. And I was like, well, I guess I have to take care of myself. And that was that.
0: That's that part. Right. It's like. When I went to Spain, and there's you know obvi- an obvious language barrier, right? I know like Puerto Rican Spanglish from the Bronx, <laughs> right? Like I know that I can say curse words in Spanish, but I can't ask you which 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 of these trains is going to get me to this specific station to get me to um, my cousin in Santa, you know, de Lucar de Barameda, right? So th- the idea of Just being able to turn yourself inside of yourself and trust that as a human you're going to be able to communicate with another human being in some kind of way to get you from point a to point b and for them to care enough about you as a fellow human being not to hurt you um to not to lead you to a dark alley where you get hit over the head like i think of all the worst case scenarios i don't know what that what that is but i'm just worst case scenario Denine. but mm-hmm. you know like how do you push past that fear like i know that that You know, your dad pointed his finger and you had to follow that and get on the plane. But then when you got there, you know, you were able to get on the train and go to Rome or go to Spain. How do you push through that fear and break down the barriers between you and a new place where the language or, you know, like the culture is not necessarily something that you are at all familiar with?
2: So... Most places, someone speaks English, especially if they work in tourism, Mm -hmm. someone will be able to give you basic directions to get in the direction that you need to go, right? Right. And then from there, you just, you have a map and you point to the word and (laughs) someone will try to tell you with hand signals or something (laughs) how to get there. I've had very great experiences. Like I've never, you know, been led down a dark alley, but I also, you know, just, don't go down dark alleys in general, but hey, this is the alley. We're <laughs> right, not right, walking right. that way. You know? Or I'm like, this is a sketchy area, like mm-hmm. I don't really know this place. So mm-hmm. I'm going to stick to the main tourist attractions. I'm probably not gonna party late into the night. I'm not gonna drink when I go out so that I can have like all my awareness with me because I know that I'm operating at a default in a foreign place. Right. But language barriers, not really an issue. There's a there's a common humanity. Like people see someone who is lost. And they they usually been in that situation themselves, mm-hmm. and so they want to help you get on the right path to right, where you're going. Right, right,
0: right. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to. And talk- you brought up. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead.
2: No, you brought up something about as a black woman traveling and your safety. Mm-hmm. There is no place that I have felt more fearful than in the United States. Hmm. When Speak you go on overseas it. as as an American, you're received as an American so sometimes people can will see me and they'll you know they might say like they might assume I am and I want people to listen to this very closely because it's gonna sound kind of crazy but it also is not meant to Mm -hmm. Um, when people see black skin if they think it's native black skin to where they are sometimes they act racist in a racist Mm -hmm. manner Mm -hmm. when you are an American traveling overseas your accent trumps your skin color Mm. in a lot of places Mm -hmm. not all but in a lot of places Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's very unfortunate it's extraordinarily racist I want to acknowledge that Mm -hmm. but when you're traveling as a black American I've always felt more safe in any other country in the world than I do in America
0: you know I just had this conversation with Mari like a couple of days ago she said that she noticed a, a marked difference between once people realized that she wasn't from Botswana, like as soon mm-hmm. as she opened her mouth and revealed herself to be a black American or an African American, whichever you choose, that the way that people responded to her and sort of opened their arms to her completely changed. Like yep. they they just started treating her, um, she said, not as well as the white American students, but doggone near close to it. Yeah. And, and she found that just odd and disconcerting and just like I'm in an all black country what the hell am I getting special yeah. treatment for Um and it just really it bothered her Um
2: yeah when it happens in Africa it's really weird right it's super right. weird because you're like wait like because I'm here like seeking you know a connection and a sense of kinship and a, like I don't really know where I'm from so I'm going to different regions to see if anything stands out and mm-hmm. these people look like my people you know something like that right. but when you start it, I think they think it's flattering right. to treat you like an American. And I'm just like, but I just kind of want to be more. I just want to be regular. Right. You know, right. Right. Like, I right. want everyone to have good treatment. I don't want to be treated well or treated better because I'm American. That's I want exactly. everyone here yeah. to be treated like an American. I want everyone here to be treated well and spoken to politely. Right. Um the way that you do to me because you think I'm other.
0: That's exactly it. That's exactly it. You know, I I was fascinated when you started See Some World just because, you know, like, like I explained, my fear of international travel is better now, but at the time... It was, you know, I was pretty like, oh, Demetria is just living the life. She's, you know, <laughs> she is just going everywhere and documenting it for all of us to see. And you just managed to find all of these beautiful spaces um, and all these beautiful places. Tell me about why you decided to do See Some World.
2: You know, it came from a place of ignorance. And when I was living in Brooklyn, most of my friends were Haitian and Haiti does not have great PR. If you mm-hmm. watch the news, there's mm-hmm. a very negative um narrative about Haiti. And one of my friends went to Haiti. He came back, he put pictures from his trip on Facebook and I was like, That's Haiti? <laughs> because <laughs> right, right. I didn't know. Like all I knew was, you know, the the earthquakes and, mm-hmm. you know, disease and poverty and things like that. Right. I didn't know anything else. So he was like, one, that's really offensive and two, we're going to do something about that. Next mm-hmm. time I go to Haiti, you're going with me. So when I first went to Haiti, I didn't go with him. I went with another couple friends who were Haitian, who he told everyone that story and was like, Demetria thinks this about Haiti. And they all laughed. Oh, so they were like, that's so ignorant. You're an ignorant American. And I was like, <laughs> I, I earned that. I <laughs> right, deserve right, that because right, right, right. I am. So I went to Haiti and the side of Haiti that they showed me was so gorgeous mm-hmm. and so beautiful. Like you've never seen beaches more beautiful. You've mm-hmm. never seen food so good. Mm-hmm. And. Contrary to popular belief there's significant wealth in Haiti, But, Mm. and you don't know about that because you never see it. Right. They have upscale venues just like we do. They have popping parties and popping bars and their New Year's celebration. People are out on boats with fireworks. Like, it's crazy. Wow. But you never see that side of Haiti. So, once I went and I saw it, I did Christmas in Haiti and I was like, so what else am I missing in the world? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I went to Haiti and I went to South Africa and I went to Kenya and I went to Morocco and I went to Argentina and I went to Bali. But I go all these places because I just want to see for myself. The side of the story that they're not telling us
0: that's right tell me about don't waste your pretty and you know and that's the fly like the dope girl kind of you know um you know talk there like tell me what was don't waste your pretty about and how does that connect to black girls and their fly
2: so don't waste your pretty is my second book it came out in 2014 um Don't Waste Your Pretty is essentially a shorthand for know your worth, right? Mm -hmm. Very often in relationships, women... Don't take a proper assessment of what they bring to the table. They're quote and unquote pretty. So your listening ears, your praying hands, your cooking skills, your nurturing, your listening to someone's you know not having a bad day, your support, the way you care for someone. We give all of that away, and people just say like, oh, that's what women women do. Women are feminine. That's how they operate. And no. Those are resources Mm, mm -hmm. that people take for granted. And we shouldn't be giving them to people that aren't also giving us something in return. There we go. So when I say don't waste your pretty, it's to say, like, know what you bring to the table and make sure that you're also being served.
0: You are just a, a jewel. And I thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your talent, your advice, and certainly your penchant for being fly in all of the many ma- manifestations um, and sharing that with us. I so appreciate you. Thank you
2: so much for having me, Dee. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: We've posted a link to some of Demetria's incredible travel photos at speakeasywithdeneen.com. I'm Deneen Milner. Speakeasy with Danine is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. So we're going to end this show by hearing from one of the flyest singers and songwriters on the planet.
2: Tank and the bangers.
0: <laughs> Tariana Tank Ball. She's the lead singer of the New Orleans band Tank and the Bangas. Public radio listeners may be familiar with the group. In 2017, the band won the NPR Tiny Desk Contest. Here's part of the group's Tiny Desk performance of the song, Boxes and Squares.
1: And your sister washed your laundry. I think it's time I did laundry too. You, 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 you. I say now you are like a loop. a what? Are you are like a like a what, girl? You don't understand. I don't understand what you're I say, I say, you know, you like a loop, like a hula Oh ooh, like ooh. a hula. I like
0: ooh, a loop. You like ooh, ooh. a loop. I caught up with Tank to learn more about how her music reflects her flyness. She joined us from a loud house in Houston, where she was visiting during her tour. Tank says singing didn't come naturally.
1: It took a while for me to realize that I can sing because I didn't take to singing as easily as my sisters or my father did. I wrote more, so I focused on that. And um, I got in a poetry gloop, a gloop, group where we combined music and poetry together, and um, that did a thing. I got to tell everybody to be quiet in the house. Can I do that? <laughs> I recorded an interview. Be quiet, you guys. Thanks, guys. Be oh, my quiet. Bad, my bad, my bad. Okay, I'm back. Mm. Ew. Down by the river where the green grass grow when the sun be burning. take your video. Don't nobody know where you go. Just know the block just got hot. When you see a got a Let me think. Well, how, how can I think about quick? And I was me. I was just thinking about telling a story. And uh, it started with. A a nurse, a a childhood rhyme. Down by the river, where the green grass grow and the sun be burning hot. But it really used to be down by the river on Hanky Panky, where the bullfrogs jump from bank to bank. That's like an old hand game, and I just started from there. And after that, I just started telling a story. I just write and then I make it make sense later on. You know, I don't write like, oh today I'm going to write about a relationship. No, I just write and then I make sense of it later on. And it happened to be about a young lady who's um who's a streetwalker, and uh who's living life and somebody tried to play her and she went after him. She went to go get her revenge. But I don't wanna go to prison. So why crank that car boo. starts up now? I'm hitting 60 hours. When I was young I used to go through my sister's poetry books, poetry books, and I would um learn all her poems by heart and that's how I got into writing. Uh, At my grandparents 50th wedding anniversary, my cousin Alexia, she wants me to start saying her name now. So my cousin Alexia, <laughs> she gave me a poem that she used to give to her students called "A Great Somebody" by Adrian Hardesty. I memorized that and and I started saying it before my grandfather preached at all the churches. I did a really horrible job when I first did it. Well, I said exactly how I used to say it you know, I am a serious child. I am a serious child with serious goals. And if it takes hard work to reach my goals, I will do it. I am a clean somebody. I know that if I lie down with hogs, I will come up with mud. So I know to keep my mind, my body, and my character clean. I'm not a kid anymore, you know, and um you have to know that like all green things, I'm gonna grow. Where do the ends go? Empty holes to fill, you know. Small and obscure one. Our song Ants came out of nowhere. We were just chilling in the studio with Jack Splash, and we and he just said, Start grooving. We just start grooving and playing. The boys playing this song so nice, the bangers is rolling. So instantly, I just started writing. It took nothing to write it, the music just was inspiring to me, and I just started telling a story of what it was like growing up. In New Orleans for me. Familiar faces say hi, street car go by, carrying fish plates and first dates, finger waves, hard mm. hairstyles, corner conversations, pop locking and dropping, high school sweetheart at the gas station, wonder who he's dating now, if he's married now, if he's busy, think of what was, like I am now, should I ask him how he doing, if you're going to the second line, fuck it, I'm late for rehearsing now, fuck it, I'm late for rehearsing now, Erica told me I'll see you in the next lifetime, nigga. Like, it was everything that was going on in my life at the time, like I said, my strongest memories. I grew up in New Orleans, right around the corner from a theme park, which is which is the coolest place to grow up. I mean, I used to go to theme parks with my friends every other day. It was, I, I was right around the corner. I've always wondered why people rode roller coasters. Why the feeling of throwing up brought about some type of excitement that they didn't receive on a regular day. When did feeling sick become equivalent to thrill? When nausea became the new ex-pale, I've always wondered why people rode roller coasters. And I remember, I remember when I did. It's the butterflies and the fireflies fighting in my stomach. The, night and- the theme park was closing, so I said, "I'm going to get on today." I got on. And it was the most exhilarating thing I think I've ever experienced, even until this day. It was going so fast. I was smiling. I was laughing. I had like slob coming all out of my mouth because it was going so fast. I was just giggling the whole time. And then after it got off, I said, I want to ride again. It's the up in the swerve. It's the feeling of your nerves sitting on the front edge of their seats, front row, eyes open coming from the thrill of sight moving as fast as light laughing for no reason screaming for everything you shouldn't have said in that fight roller coasters it's like meeting god with a kite in your left hand strings still twisted around your forefinger right hand still gripping the safety whale. there is this moment when you feel like you're in an ocean of your butterflies this is the moment when you get free and you let your arms fly want to ride a roller coaster because it's the closest thing next to flying, but well, you can actually feel safe about it. You know, you could put your arms up, you go real high, you go real low, and you feel what it feels like to actually fly. But with the safety of a seatbelt, that's what people want in love. But there is no seatbelt in love. That's the difference. This is the instant you let go, and you let your fingers fly. Hey, you're flying now. How does it feel to beat the wind? You're at the zenith. In order to trust people, you have to be open to it. You know, you have to be open to, to flying as well as falling. So it's the, the key part in a roller coaster actually is getting off and living and walking and getting back in line if you'd like to. It's the weight. It's all of that. Flying to me is is elevation. Flying to me is actually falling and, and lows and uh, mids and everything. Flying is, is truly actually life. It's the butterflies and the fireflies batting in my stomach
0: That's Tariana Tank Ball, one of my favorite singers. Tank is part of the New Orleans-based group Tank and the Bangas. Now we want to hear from you. Who's the flyest person in your life? You can reach us at speakeasywithdanine.com. Oh. I'm Deneen Milner. Sean Powers produces the show. Kiosha Howard is our editor. Our theme music is by M. Fassol. We heard additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Speakeasy with Deneen is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can subscribe to us for free at gpb.org forward slash podcasts and anywhere you get your podcasts. And until the next time on Speakeasy, be easy.